Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. All right, friends, it is the week after Easter, or as uh, non-English-speaking Christians around the world call it, Passover. We are in the season of the Christian Passover now, and uh, Holy Week has passed. We did not have a Monday Thursday service this year. We did have a Good Friday service. It went quite well. We're not posting it um, because the audio was too imbalanced and just a bunch of dorky things. But anyway, if you want to um, have access to Good Friday worship, just come to Good Friday worship next year, or you can always watch our live stream. We have a really decent live stream. We had a great Easter Sunday worship service um, a few days ago. Uh, on a personal level, my wife was having contractions during worship. We finally, uh, she played organ and piano for the service. We went over to Tulsa, and the next day, uh, my wife gave birth to our fourth child, Abigail. And so this is my first day back in the office. And um, I'm really glad to present the content of our worship to you. We talked about the power of Christ's resurrection, specifically the power over death, and the difference it makes when we believe in that, when we, when we make that our reality, when, when we are ensconced in Christ. I didn't use that word on Sunday. I should have used that word, ensconced. It's a good word. Anyway, um, a lot of good things going on here. Had a great board meeting last night. The No Water Church is doing well. We're, we're priming and preparing ourselves to just have a permanent, uh, significant, beneficial impact on this community. I couldn't be prouder to be the pastor here. I'm very excited about the future. There are a lot of Methodist churches that are very insecure right now because of denominational infighting. We've largely stayed isolated from that. Uh, we are hosting a couple of information sessions about churches that are splitting off and why they're doing that and whether or not our church should be asking these questions or just uh, putting our head down and, and sticking uh, with what we've been doing. So anyway, if you're interested to know details about that, then call me or ask me or send an email. We're at noaterumc uh, at gmail.com and... Um, I'm thinking there's one other thing I meant to talk about, and it is not coming to me, so I'm going to stop talking. I hope you really enjoyed today's podcast. God bless you. Pray the Holy Spirit would work upon you, and that uh, you would pray for this church, and that we would all be bound tighter to, together in Christ's love, and that Christ would be glorified through this church's ministries. So be well, and um, God bless you as you meditate on His Word. Very good. All right, we're going to go through our four uh, lectionary readings, and they're all tied together, spoiler alert, with the power that Jesus Christ, death and resur resurrection has over the powers of sin and death. We're going to mock death, the powers of sin and death. They have no hold over us. We're going to rejoice in the power that Christ Jesus claimed over them. Our first reading is uh, from Acts of the Apostles. This is the words of Peter in a sermon that he gave. So I'd welcome our first reader, Ford, to share that with us. Our first reading is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10, verses 34 through 43, 
which you can find on page 1546 in your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee, after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with them. And we are witnesses of all things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and shewed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A um, couple housekeeping things just before we proceed further with worship. I have three small children in this sanctuary. Uh, do they always behave perfectly? No, they don't. Uh, sometimes uh, my children are behaving badly. Not once have any of you chased my children out of here, and I've been very grateful for you. There is a former preacher here at this church who said, if you don't hear crying, your church is dying. Um, and he meant that in the context of small children. So people here with children, it's great if they're well-behaved. Uh, fine, you have a great child. I don't. Um, but um, if your children are like mine and they have a hard time holding still and they make some noise, that's just fine. Nobody's judging you. Nobody's mad that you're here. Everybody's glad that you're here. Said that Friday evening and one parent left and I talked to her again. She said, I thought you were talking to all the parents but me. And no, I'm talking to all the parents. Uh, we've, we're veterans here. We used to have a little girl who would run laps around here while I was preaching, okay? <laughs> that was kind of hard. Please don't let them run laps. <laughs> we're not a Pentecostal church. We don't run the, the aisles like this. Um, Anyway, I also want to acknowledge, we got some folks with us online. Juanita Clark has been really faithful. She lives down in San Antonio. She's a long-term member here. Very glad to have you, Juanita. As well as Sandy and Elisa, Elisa, excuse me, Cheyenne. Um, there are a couple people who are on and haven't let us know, so go ahead and let us know you're with us. But very glad to have you here. Um, we are reading out of Acts of the Apostles here, and Peter gives this sermon that starts off. He's talking about you know who it is that's going to be saved. Now, he ends in a very good place. Uh, to Jesus give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall retain remission of sins. That's good news, right? Because how hard is it to believe in Jesus, right? You know, there, you got all kinds of Jesuses, right? You got buddy Jesus. You got Jesus is my boyfriend. You know, that's the one you sing. Oh, singing my heart out to Jesus. You know, and we got uh, Jesus who's who uh, I heard of a guy in Bartlesville who's a big party animal. And the pastor at the funeral said, man, he's up. He's up in heaven partying with Jesus right now, right? You know, because Jesus, he was a drinker, right? And he went to parties. So uh, I'm kind of being facetious. People remake Jesus in their own image. 
Uh, people, you know, Jesus is my best friend. Oh, he would never be mad at me. Uh, Jesus is just like me. There are a lot of people who read the Bible, and rather than be transformed by the Bible, they transform the Bible. They read it through the lens where, oh, no, you know, I got a couple little, little faults, but they're not sins that will separate me from Jesus, you know. Not a big deal, really. No. What it says here, this was at the start of Peter's speech. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. What that means is he doesn't play favorites. You might think you're really cute and exceptional. Jesus doesn't. He holds you to the exact same standard as everybody else, every single other person. You know, anybody else here, have, I have this selfish tendency of, oh, you know, I screwed up, but it's understandable. And, you know, it's, it's actually kind of cute when you think about it. You know, you can't be too angry at me for this. No, you can, and you should, because I know better because I've been told better. Because the only Jesus really is the one that we find in the scriptures, because those who reported who he was and, and what he said and did, they're reliable. And as I'm going to talk about before the gospel reading, these people died for that message. They didn't get rich. They didn't get powerful. They didn't get a bunch of wives. They stayed poor. They traveled the world in misery. They were persecuted and finally tortured and killed for this faith and never recanted it. This is all true. Not just metaphorically, not just symbolically, literally, historically, more true than you and I are is the truth of Jesus Christ. That's how true all this is. It says, God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't play favorites. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So, okay, it's easy to talk about believing in Jesus. Man, who doesn't believe in Jesus? It's the easiest thing in the world. Well, if you believe in Jesus, here's what you see. You fear him and you work righteousness. Well, I, I love Jesus, but I don't really fear him. And I, I don't do much righteous stuff, at least the stuff in the Bible. What then? Well, then you don't love Jesus. You love somebody else. You call him Jesus, but he's not the Jesus you find in the Bible. Here, it's not saying anyone who believes in the Jesus of your own mind will be accepted by Jesus. It's not saying that. It's saying who believes in Jesus. Jesus was a real person, is a real person. He sits at the right hand of God. He has an identity. He's revealed himself to us. If you worship any Jesus other than him, you know, the Muslims believe in a Jesus, the Mormons believe in a Jesus. A lot of atheists believe Jesus was a real guy. It's not saying believe that he was a historical figure. Believe that he is who he said he was, who he said he is. Jesus himself said he was the son of man, fulfilling Daniel 17. He prayed to the father, calling him my father, Abba, an intimate familial term. Jesus was either crazy, in which case, why are you following him? He was a liar, in which case, same thing, why would you follow a liar? Or he was Lord. Lunatic, liar, or Lord. And if he was and is who he said he is, then we need to know who he is. And that's why Peter, throughout this reading, he recites who Peter, Jesus was, what he did, what he said, how he died, how he rose. And the reality is that's not revealed to everybody. He said when the resurrected Jesus appeared, not everybody saw him only those to whom he revealed himself. And that's one of the things that's hard about us. We want something where everybody is a part of it. Now, everybody can be a Christian. Everybody can learn who Jesus is and love him and follow him. But most people won't. Most people don't. And most people will die outside of Christ. And that is a most sorry and sad thing. Here... It says you need to fear the Lord and work deeds of righteousness. The righteousness thing, it's a little bit easier for us. That just means do good stuff, right? The thing is, 
The Bible determines the good stuff, doesn't it? Determines the good stuff. I don't know what I said. So if our lives are not reflecting the works of righteousness that Christ himself preached, we're in trouble. What do you do when you realize that your life isn't measuring up to the scriptural standard? Is there anything you can do? Oh, good job, Jeff Holt. Repent. Repent. We never get past that message. We got to repent every day, daily repentance. Every day I fall down. Every day I need to pick my cross back up and go. Fearing the Lord, though. A thought I want to share with you before we move along. Fearing the Lord is something that's grown out of vogue. Oh, I don't fear the Lord. He's my best friend. Here it said that Jesus would be our final judge at the end of history. And there's a lot that's not going to make it. Jesus himself says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, On that day, many of you will come to me saying, Lord, 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 did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not heal in your name? Did we not? And he'll say, truly, I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoers. The dividing line he provides there is, did you obey and follow, or did you go your own way? There are a lot of people that are not going to make it. The question for us is, do I want to make it? And if so, what if I have to fear my best friend in the universe, Jesus? Is he worthy of fearing? He's the judge at the end of history. Yes, he has more power over you than anybody. He is more scary than the Chinese Communist Empire. Uh, party. Party. Chinese Communist Party. Why did I say empire? He's more powerful than Putin and Russia. He's more powerful than the American federal government. He's more powerful than your mean old mother-in-law. He's more powerful than anybody. I shouldn't have made a mother-in-law joke. Sarah Beth has a wonderful mother-in-law. She is not mean at all, and so do I, yes. I wasn't even thinking of my, my mother-in-law as a saint. Um, Jesus is more powerful than any of them, and he will condemn. So he should be feared. And this article I read earlier this week, it was so true, just right on the face of it. It says, people are afraid of so much nowadays, and that's because they don't fear the Lord. When you learn to fear the Lord, all your other fears disappear. It puts all your fears in perspective. When you understand how powerful God is, how fearsome he is, how just he is. You know, we're talking about how everybody is judged on the same standard. The word for that is justice. Justice is when all are equal under the law and the law is applied equally to all people. Not social justice, justice. Justice is equality in the eyes of the law. God is just. All of us are equal in his sight. We're all equally born in sin. We all equally need to repent and we can all be saved. We can all be saved. But that means fearing the Lord. That means working righteousness. And that means believing in Christ, not for who we want him to be, not for how he feels in my heart, but for who our Lord is. He is the great I am. He doesn't negotiate with us about who he is and what points he really meant and what points we can, you know, shirk. He is who he is. He said what he said. Now the question is, are we going to be the people he's calling? And what's your answer going to be? Yes or no? Yes. Don't be a liar. Yes, Lord, we're going to be who you called us to be. Yes, we're going to believe in your son Jesus for who he is. Yes, we're going to fear you for you are fearsome. And yes, Lord, our lives will be reflections of your righteousness. Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Amen. Our second reading is from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. Chapter 15, verses 19 through 26, which you can find on page 1622 in your pew Bibles. Listen again to the Word of God. 
If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all we are all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be all made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward they are they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end when we when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. That first line is the zinger that's easy to let go. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. This is a, a weird holiday to try and have in America now. It's just got all this, this, this buildup over the years, these accretions. There are a lot of people today who come to Easter worship, but they don't really believe in the resurrection. They believe that sometimes things look bad and they turn around, or they believe that things look dead in winter and they come back to life, but they don't believe that once upon a time, the eternal word of God became flesh, lived among us, and then took our sins upon him and died on the cross, paying the penalty for us, substituting us by drinking of God's wrath, descending to the dead, then God raising him up literally bodily from the dead, and then ascending into heaven. All of that, they say, I might as well just believe in the ancient God Zeus. I might as well believe in Horus and the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus and all that. I should not have said that. But the thing is, what we're talking about here is historically real. And when people come to Easter worship, they need to understand we're talking. Here's what it's talking about here. There are some people who say, I follow Jesus, not because he's the son of God, not because I want to be raised up with him on the last day, but I think he had good teachings. I think he was a kind man. First off, no, he wasn't. He was very mean to some people. He, he, he made some people cry. Some people tried to kill him before they actually got a hold of him and killed him at the right time. He was not well-liked. Some people loved him in spite of him calling them faithless or perverse or small-minded. You know, um, uh, he's, he's not an easy savior to follow. He says his yoke is easy and his burden is light, but that doesn't mean we're just skipping all the way up to, to heaven. That means that we're, uh, we're walking the Via Dolorosa. You remember that song? Was that last week or two weeks ago? The way of suffering and sorrow. That's how Jesus walked, and that's how we walk. But there are some people who say, I followed Jesus. He was a good teacher. He just had good life lessons. But no, if you're following, if you're practicing what he preached, and only for this life, if you're practicing unconditional forgiveness, non-retaliation, giving what wealth you have up to the poor, these are poor life strategies. If for this life only... You're living, if there is no afterlife and you're doing what Jesus told you, then you're a dummy. Why are you sitting here in this pew if this is the only life you live and there is no life after this? This is like the lamest, stupidest thing to do if there is no afterlife. Why would you do this? The only reason to be a part of the church, the only reason to be here, sitting in the pew, singing these songs together, loving other people's children that are not your own, Praying over people that are not your people. The only reason to come together as a people is if there is an afterlife. 
if our lives proceed on from eternity after this, if we are tapping into eternal things here and now and our lives are not these short things that end and then we become worm food, that's not the good news. The good news is there is a literal Jesus, a historical Jesus. He literally died for your sins. He literally has the power to save you from death, and he will. And he will. He already has. He's done everything needed for your salvation. He's already proven his love for you. All the battle has already been won. The argument's over. And the answer now is not to make it a metaphor, not to make it some deep spiritual reality. The, the, the challenge now is to believe it, have faith in it, change your life because of it. Because if you are unchanged, you will not be welcome in the kingdom. If for this life only we hope in Christ, we are the most miserable people there are. I'm looking out at you. You don't look miserable. A lot of you are grinning at me. You're going, yes, that's that spiritual medicine I need. Yes, preacher, I believe. And I'll tell you, there's nothing like worshiping with a group of people that are actually saved and not just thinking they're saved. Now, not everybody's in the same place. I pray that whether or not you stay for communion, whether or not you pay attention to anything I say after this point, I pray that you know the joy of repentance and conforming your life to Christ Jesus and walking in light. So pray for that. And you know what? If this is a good community to do it, then come back to this community, okay? Deal? All right. Our final reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, which you can find on page 1523 in your pew Bibles. Listen again to the Word of God. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher. That's another word for grave. And seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary, Magdalene, stood without at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, to my God 
and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. I told y'all JC was prepared in the event that I wasn't here today. Y'all get to listen to him. I get to sit down and enjoy the word like you guys. Thanks, JC. Let me just start off by saying how strange this is as a lay speaker to be here on one of the big three Sundays, you know, Christmas, Easter, or Mother's Day. This does not happen. <laughs> Thank you, Jeffrey. Um, I told him I would have something ready just in case, and he pretty much insisted this morning that, that he was going to take a break. Now, I want to start off by talking about two things. One, I brought my very first Bible this morning because my very first Bible happened to be a King James Bible. This was given to me just a couple of months before my 11th birthday when I went through commencement and joined my church. And King James was not in common use in the Methodist churches in the early 70s. Typically it was the Revised Standard Version, but our pastor was blind and the only Braille Bible he had was King James. So I grew up on the King James Version. And many passages, like the 23rd Psalm, just do not sound right to my ear any other way. So I want to thank Jeffrey for always going with the King James during Advent and Lent because it, it really does something for me. Let's take a look now at this scripture. You know, it was very customary in that time and place the people visited the grave sites to mourn after someone had died. And generally these visits always happen just in the first few days after death because bodies don't smell good when they decompose and nobody wanted to be there after a few days. Jesus being buried right before the Sabbath, well, Jewish law wouldn't have allowed them to travel the distance back out to the grave on the Sabbath, Saturday to go see him. So Mary is up at the crack of dawn on Sunday morning to get out there. She's probably brought ointments with her, some oils to anoint the body to help with the smells that build up as the body decays. She's anxious. She gets there and she sees that the stone has been taken away from the entrance. And she immediately runs, it says, not walks, back into the city to find Peter and John. And I want to make a quick point here that the first person mentioned is Peter because the last time we saw Peter, he had been denying that he knew Christ three times and walking away with his head held down in shame. And yet, this still pretty much acknowledges him as the early leader of the group. He's the one she went to first. I've got to go find Peter, and I've got to go find the disciple that Jesus loved, John. I think this points back to the, you know, Jesus' words when he gave Simon Peter the name Peter, on this rock I will build my church. 
Now the text now tells us that not only did Mary run back into the city to get Peter and John, but that they ran back to the gravesite themselves. And apparently John's the better runner because he gets there first. John bends down and looks into the tomb. And it, very, it says very specifically he bends down because a grave opening would have been a yard tall, three feet. You couldn't just walk in. You had to crawl in. John bends down and he looks in and he sees the burial linens laying there. And then it tells us that Peter, upon his arrival, immediately goes in and he sees not only the burial clothes laying there but the head covering that would have been part of that but not just laying there folded up neatly rolled up or folded up and neatly placed where Jesus's head would have been the text says that they don't know yet the scripture that Jesus must rise again from the dead, but obviously John makes a connection because it says he believes. He realizes that something divine is going on here. At this point, the disciples apparently leave. We don't see any interaction with them and Mary, but we see that Mary has made her way back and she now bends down and looks into the grave. And it says that she is still weeping, still teary-eyed, but she sees the two angels inside the grave, and they ask her why she is crying. And she asserts again and tells them that the body has been removed, and she doesn't know where it is. Jesus now is standing behind her, And he asks the same thing. Actually, he asks her, I think it was two questions. One, why is she crying? And two, who is she seeking? And I think in that question, John kind of closes a loop in his gospel. For you see, these are among the very last words of Jesus that John records, but the very first words that Jesus is recorded, has recorded in the Gospel of John are Jesus asking his first two disciples, what seek ye? We're coming full circle. Mary answers him quite literally that she's looking for the body that is missing from the grave. And she's apparently turned back towards the grave opening again at this point because it says that Jesus calls her name and she has to turn to see him. He just simply says Mary. And I was reminded immediately of earlier, again in the Gospel of John chapter 10, and it says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep 
follow him for they know his voice. As soon as Mary hears her name in his voice, she knows who it is she is talking to. And she has but one word to say. Rabboni, Rabbi, Teacher, Master, Lord. Jesus says to her, and it says in the King James Version, touch me not. And this is the one time I don't like the King James. I actually like the NIV better because it says, do not hold on to me. And I, being the nerd I am, I have a Greek Bible on my computer and a Greek to English dictionary. And so when I see things like this, I always have to retranslate it for myself. I can see based on the meanings of the words in the Greek how both of these translations came to be. They're both valid, but I like the do not hold on to me better because it's not so much that he's forbidding contact. I can't imagine upon turning around that Mary didn't immediately throw her arms around him. What I hear him saying to her is, don't hang on to me in this life. For the next life is the important one. And then Jesus sends Mary back to, very specifically uses the word brethren, with the instructions to tell them what he said, which was, tell them that I must ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. My father and your father. Brethren here is very specific. It's gender neutral also, but it's how it always gets translated. But it's very specific. It is explicitly saying family. Go tell my family, my brothers and sisters, that I have to go to heaven, that I have to go see God, my father and your father. You are now his children. He is very definitely reinforcing here what has now been accomplished by his overcoming sin and death. Those who believe and have faith are now elevated directly to being children of God and no longer just a part of the general creation. You know, as I was thinking about this, I was kind of looking specifically how Peter and John and Mary react here. And I was kind of thinking that it parallels my life in many ways. The very first time I heard the stories of Easter, the resurrection of Christ, the young scientist in me was going, well, that can't be real. <laughs> that doesn't happen. And 
then at some point in time, you move on more like Peter, who it says is a little puzzled by all of this as he goes home. He has to think about it. John believes. And then Mary has a personal encounter with Jesus. We accept it as fact when we have that personal encounter. But it truly is only as we serve the risen Lord that we fully understand the reality of his presence. Jesus calls each and every one of us in his own voice by our own name. At first, just to follow him, the sheep know his voice and follow him. But then Mary is charged with something more here. She is sent back to go tell the family the good news. Jesus calls all of us with that same voice by our names and gives us that same commission. Go and spread the good news throughout the earth. There is something that God, through Jesus, is calling you to do. And I don't know what it is, but my prayer for you this morning is that you will hear and respond to that call. When I sat down and planned this uh, service, I said, man, this is going to be like a 45-minute service. This is going to be great. And uh, we're at an hour and 10 minutes. And um, this really is the most important thing, however... A lot of us have commitments. When, we, when COVID happened, I stopped making people stay for communion and making part of that service. I've given people a chance to leave because I don't think it's right to pressure people into a powerful thing. You know, you've come here to hear the word. You've heard a good word today, I hope. But, I, you know, for me, Easter's not complete till I have communion. I'm having communion here in a minute. What's going to happen now is I'm going to go wash my hands. Sarah Beth and a couple people are going to set up the meal on the altar then I'm going to officiate over communion. It's probably going to take another 15 minutes unless the Holy Spirit shows up, and then who knows what happens. He's been here the whole time, I know. But if, if you need to head on out, we're not going to pressure you. We're not going to make you feel bad. God bless you. But if you'd like to stay a little bit longer, even if you didn't plan on it, this family's going to eat together. We're going to have our spiritual meal together. So I thank you for being gracious with me, for having the children's sermon and being long-winded and all that. I think it was worth it. Um, but, but if you'd like to, you're very welcome to stay with me and my family and eat. If you don't, may the, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ accompany you out, and I hope to see you again soon. Let's take a break. Let's set up for, for our, our meeting.